Thanks for joining us again on Jabronis Only, or welcome if you're a new listener. This is an always sunny in Philadelphia random episode podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about season 13, episodes 8 and 9, because they're, a, they're dual episodes. That's Charlie's Home Alone and the gang wins the big game. The best way to enjoy this podcast is to watch those episodes and then listen in along to our commentary. If you don't do that and just want to enjoy the show anyway, just bear in mind that obviously uh, the plot is a big part of what we talk about, so therefore there'll be loads of plot spoilers. again on jabronis only we've reached episode number three joining me as ever is i didn't have anything prepared i meant to write something down but is um a man in a blue t-shirt very expensive pair of headphones and mr dewsbury himself tom coates man in a blue t-shirt with the optimism of going for a run i've got my running stuff on and i feel like if i can Uh, psychologically get in the mind frame then i will but you know we're getting on in the afternoon now and i still haven't been so (laughs) we'll see how it goes (laughs) And your blue T-shirt exactly matches the colour of the blue on the wall behind you, so yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, I've done that on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because you're a very, very stylish man. <laughs> but uh, on Jabronis only, we've already come to a double episode. It's only our third one in, and we're already talking about a double episode. This is uh, what series and episode is this? Remind me again. We are se- season thirteen. And we are the final episodes of the season, so it's the two the finale episodes, which is a two parter. And I will say that we you know we had the opportunity just to do one of them and just say, well, we'll just do which one was drawn out. I think it was the gang wins the big game was drawn out, and then we quickly realised that was uh, the second part. So I guess there's not really, I mean, there's not really anything else we could have done. But I, I hope it, you know people understand that we're doing two episodes here. So and these two episodes specifically refer to. The when the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, real life events. Do you know what this, these episodes, what they really remind, remind me of, and they reminded me of it at the time, and as when I was watching it again yesterday, it's the, have you seen the Simpsons episode? Uh, it's it's called, it's the, it's the Super Bowl episode, where they all go to the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, yeah, the really early one. Yeah, I think it's like season four or season five. Sunday, Cruddy Sunday, it's called. yeah. Because one of the similarities that I like, and they're, they're one of the things I liked about that Simpsons episode that I like about this episode is, is on the Simpsons episode, all the townsfolk are seemingly, you know, friends and going on this trip together. And then obviously in, in these episodes, and we see at the start of both, they're sort of assembling the crew that are getting on the bus. And it's, you know, you've got Rickety Cricket, you've got uh, Glenn Ponderosa, you've got the waitress, you've got Ben the soldier, you've got Uncle Jack, and they're all just sort of, Friends, you know, even though they've never really had that much interaction, it's sort of like a a payoff for fans just to see them all in an episode together because we obviously see each of them in cameos, but to see them all, you know, just all on the same page and all being friends, I, I don't know. It's like I say, it feels like a big payoff for fans this sort of episode. Yeah, and it's a it's a double episode, but it's um it's quite a simple plot. So the plot of the the plot of the first one is just what Charlie does. Because he gets left behind, and the others go to the Super Bowl, and then the other, and then the other, the second episode is basically what the the other guys do um, when they're at the Super Bowl, and those two things are supposedly combine 
to make sure the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and do you know, apart from obviously the very end of the second episode where you've got you know the montage of the fans celebrating, you could watch them in either order because the start of each episode is identical. So it's, as I say, Mac assembling everybody and then preparing to get on the coach. And then you've got the split where uh, Cricket comes on wearing Green Man. And then that's obviously where the episodes go the separate ways. There's one line in here, again, that like kind of sets the whole thing up, both episodes. One of the American footballers, I think it's... Um... Jason Kelsey, who says, um, every single thing that every fan does at home or in the stadium has a direct impact on the game. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote that down as well as one of my favourite lines. I think both of those do a really good job. I mean, Jason Kelsey... Oh, they do, yeah. I think Jason Kelsey's obviously got the more prominent role. They play a big part in the episode, don't they? They do, but yeah, that's it. so that's, that's what happens. The idea is that Charlie, once Charlie realises he's got to stay back, then he has to do his rituals that mean that the Eagles will win. And uh, and then at the stadium, Mac believes that other things that happen when they're there in the box and everything, th- that they'll make them win. And one of the reasons that they've got, that, that is, this is even more embedded, is because I think to get to the Super Bowl, the uh, Eagles are really unfancied. Nick Foles, who was the quarterback, was a re-sign and was the backup but they went on a, um, I'm just looking on, a 14-game streak to make that they weren't expected to do. So therefore, that kind of, they've done it because I've done these superstitions in order, like Charlie with his colours. They all believe that's why that they're, they're at the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think there's another line that really helps like unite the storyline with reality. And it's, it's Frank's speech about the team letting them down. And all the way through, like you've got this narrative of, Mac saying, these people are the worst of Philadelphia. We all need to be good ambassadors for Philadelphia. But then, like, Frank says, no, these people are Philadelphia. and They, they bust, their, bust their ass all week, and then the team lets them down. And they've got all this anger. And if only they could control that anger. And, and I can't remember the exact words he says, but it's just sort of this, like, it changes the plot of the episode. It gives this speech about that these are true Philadelphians. Uh, that's like you know, it it sort of draws the sort of comparisons between real life and what's happening in the episode. Yeah, and we're getting things uh, very kind of back to front here, but we'll come to it at the end. But there's a montage at the end that kind of sums that up really nicely. It's two forty p.m. on a Saturday in both episodes uh, because they are they're running parallel time as well, which is very clever, and they do it do it quite well. The, the writer for the first episodes were Adam Weinstock and Andy Jones. Do we know anything about them? No, I mean, they don't, I don't think they've did, they did anything prior. Just having an arbitrary scroll through on IMDb, I don't think they wrote any of the previous episodes, on, unless I've missed them. Uh, but then obviously it's, it's different writers for the second one, isn't it, as well? This may have been one of those where they gave them the, the kind of setup and the story, and then they gave the script to, uh, to guys that they were trying to do new stuff with, giving them a chance, really. And the director's different as well. It's a different director. Yes, yeah, Kat Koiro, uh, the first one. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, the, she directed both of them, I think, actually. Yes, yeah, she, she directed both episodes, and she did. She actually did two earlier in the season, which was the, the Gang Beats Boggs Ladies reboot and Time's Up for the Gang. But again, prior to season 13, I don't think she directed any. It's Connor Galvin who wrote the second one, and I think he... I'm just looking... I think he's definitely involved with the show a lot because you see his name. So maybe on the production side, he did. Uh, he wrote McPoyle versus Ponderosa: Trial of the Century. Ah, right there you go. Which is probably a top ten episode. Yeah, iconic, isn't it? That one? Yeah, if you look on his IMDb, he's been a lot of writers' assistants on a lot of um, 
lot of the shows as well. So yeah, he's been embedded in the show as well. Yeah, he also did. Um, he also did the gang gets new wheels in that season, which is another really good episode. Yes, it's the one where um, where Dennis starts playing fantasy football and loses his mojo. And um, and Dee has a, has a minor triumph where she kind of gets in with two of the cool women from around town, doesn't she, for a little while? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it starts, um, yeah, they're all getting ready to go off in the limo to Minnesota, which is where the Super Bowl... 32, is it? 32? Was it th- uh, 52? 62? I think so, yeah. I'm trying to decode the Roman numerals. So, yeah, I think it's 2018, isn't it? Yeah, L2. They're, they're all getting getting ready to go off. I didn't realise... I'd forgotten certain things about this episode. So, number one was that in this series, Charlie and the waitress are together. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, <laughs> and it's great. They have a bickering moment at the start of the show. It's great. She's, she's trying to get into, is it asparagus? Yeah, yeah. So, that his pee will be green for the, for the eagles, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd forgotten the, the setup about... Uh, Cricket not being allowed to go and then turning up as Green Man. So I, I wrote down on my notes, I wrote that Cricket's in the, the scene outside the bar when they're chugging beers, then he's not on the limo. And I'd forgotten what happens. No, it's a good way of, it's a good way of sort of setting up for Charlie being left behind. Because I think you, I, get, I got the impression, what I remember watching the first time, that that was what was going to happen, that there's going to be someone, somebody, at least somebody left behind. So. And then you get the nosebleed, don't you? Fans of the show might not have come across this yet. Charlie has a character called Green Man. Which is basically him in one of those um, lycra suit morph suits, isn't it? A morph suit, yeah. Where he just jumps out on people essentially at inappropriate moments, and so he wants to wear that to the Super Bowl. And there's a lot of bickering before they get in the in the limo, which really winds Mac up. <laughs> but eventually they get in there, and and just at the last minute, the green man turns up. Why did they kick Cricket out? Can you remember? I think because he was the like declared the worst one of everybody. So I think I don't think Matt's happy with any of the people really, but I think he's sort of a sacrificial lamb that they decide they don't want. And then it's funny because like when it's revealed that it is cricket, Mac sort of has this like moral dilemma that ultimately he settles in not wanting to start a de- not wanting to set a precedent of delays. <laughs> so decides that oh, actually it doesn't really matter. We'll just keep on going. <laughs> and there's that the scene in the in the I don't call it a limo, a luxury minibus or whatever. <laughs> the play, you know, Eye of the Tiger, <laughs> and it's sort of working quite well. And then it stops, and then they just repeat it again. This is how it turns out there aren't actually that many songs about Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was in Rocky, but I thought it was just used in Rocky. I didn't realise it was actually written for the movie. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either, to be honest. Cause you got, yeah, there's that, that scene where, the, where he's training running up the steps. I think that's probably what it's referenced to. Yeah, I, pre- I presume it was written there for, for the film and for Philly. Yeah, amazing. Um, as, you, as you quite rightly said, what's great about that is that they want to take a gang to represent Philadelphia to the Super Bowl, and the characters that we have are incredible. So we've got the waitress, who's great because she declares that she's a Patriots fan on the coach. <laughs> Touchdown, Tommy. Yeah. So they they always find ways to... It's a bit like D, but they always find ways to make everyone hate her. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and you've got cricket, obviously, we mentioned. Uncle Jack... Yeah. So you've <laughs> Uncle Jack Pondy, who's one of the greatest characters, of course. And Tim the Soldier. I love Tim the Soldier. Ben the Soldier. Ben the Soldier, sorry. Why do I write Tim? <laughs> it is Ben the Soldier, yeah. Uh, and even better, he's wearing his denims. <laughs> his, his jean shorts, yeah. yeah. His jean shorts, yeah. And Pondy we've mentioned. Is, oh, Rex, and Rex is the other one. <laughs> yeah, the show Rex, it's like the evolution of Rex. That's one of our favourite lines again. I think I'll probably get the... Feeling we're going to be jumping all over the place with this because it's a bit of a complicated setup. But one of my favourite lines is where <laughs> Matt, where, where uh, Rex takes his top off, and Matt goes, "What am I looking at here, Rex?" <laughs> yeah, and it's a call back to the 
the, the berries. So what happens? So yeah, so they all go off, and then Charlie realizes he's been he's been left alone. So before he realizes, he has to get into his superstitious um, things, or as they say. What, what's the word they use at the start? Studistition or something. Stupidstition. Stupidstition, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way Charlie puts it is always like, I need to do my colours. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's as simple as that. He has a sort of code of different colours. It's not it's not nothing more sort of subtle. It's just a certain series of colours before a match. And that, But before that happens, before he realises that he's not going to make the game, the initial setup is a basically a pastiche of Home Alone. Yeah. Because that's what Charlie is, he's Home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and before that as well, one of the things I, I found really funny at the start was where he's, you see that sort of responsibility of business ownership where he's, he's very sort of uh, diligently putting up the sign on the bar about it being closed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just done in such a Charlie way. But it's, it's like, as I say, the funny thing about it is the sort of inbuilt diligence about he didn't want to leave the bar abandoned. But then, yeah, as you say, you go into the Home Alone references. And it's, <laughs> I guess the line that's, I mean, he's, he's obviously rooting through everybody's stuff. You've got the, um, the aftershave scene in the mirror where he screams. And then he says, I don't know why I'm screaming. This doesn't hurt at all. Yeah. And he's going like, Mark, I'm going through yeah. your stuff. I got your <laughs> sticky Bible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. And then there's the bit, the the bit I guess that sort of hits home what they're trying to do. If you hadn't already got it, was where the two customers knock on the door, find it closed, and then Charlie says, "This is my bar, and I have to defend it." And those two like uh, a cast, so they look a little bit like the two guys out of Home Alone. Yeah, they look like the bandits, don't they? The sticky bandits, or whatever they're called, the wet bandits. What was it? what? Yeah, yeah, the, the wet bandits. It's funny because they look a little bit like them, but also a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Charlie does, and there's one, there's one particular scene um, that really made me laugh out loud. It's when he's um, when he's on the dildo bike, just like. <laughs> <laughs> just for no reason, he just has a go on the dildo bike, <laughs> yeah. and he's really and he's really la- really laughing and enjoying himself. I like that you know he's setting up these absolutely brutal traps. Obviously, there's like some comic value in the tra- traps on Home Alone. And then he's like he's got like the nail gun set up. He's got like the bear trap. There's just see, I mean, obviously the bear trap plays a big part in the episode, but there's a bear trap seemingly lying around in the back that he utilises. And he's got that uh, battle plan map that he draws as well. You know, it's sort of playing on, obviously, the, the childlike elements of Charlie you know, being like Kevin, Macaulay Culkin, off Home Alone. Uh, yeah, so what happens is he's he sets up the bar, so essentially if anybody comes into it, they'll fall for all these traps, but in a really stupid way. It... Yeah, and be brutally murdered, effectively. <laughs> Yeah, in a really stupid way, because who would, if they broke in, would want to go from one end of the bar to the other for no reason? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like all the traps are set out in front of the bar. Yeah. The one thing you'd want to do is go to the till. It's just literally a, se- a series of lethal traps. <laughs> so obviously he gets caught in his own traps. He's having difficulty complete his, completing his superstitions. And two of the, as we referred to before, two of the Eagles players appear to him as uh, spirits, shall we say? Yeah, the cardboard cutouts out. The cardboard cutouts are already there, always there. And then he just starts hallucinating, doesn't he? So he starts drifting in and out of consciousness. There's also the bit around that point, I think it's before he starts talking to the players, where he starts bonding with a rat and then realises it's brown and it, and it, <laughs> it matches up with his colour plan, so he eats the rat. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> yeah, but and the two players, as we said, are Bo Allen and Jason Kelsey, who are both real Eagles yeah. players, and both played both played in that game, and both yeah, 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 are superb. They just they just do such a great job. Yeah, 
There's one of the best lines from the two episodes as well. I think it's Jason Kelsey that says it. He's like, I've got two words for them. Fuck them. Because <laughs> you, you think, you know, when they first appear, you think they're just going to go, oh, well done, Charlie, and just kind of be there in the background. But they actually play a pivotal role in the, yeah. how they guide him and, and keep him going. It actually becomes a really important thing. Yeah, yeah. They're coaching him through the pain, aren't they? He's just getting pulverised by his own traps. <laughs> yeah. And they're just, and he's, you know, it's that classic, he's going through like every gambit, every emotion. There's that, there's that scene in one of my favourite episodes $100 baby where he's, he's, he's taking loads of D steroids and he's sitting eating his sandwich and he's just going through every emotion and like Charlie Charlie Day the actor he's just fantastic at that sort of conveying all these emotions like excruciating pain and then like ecstasy of the Eagles winning and everything in between and yeah having the players coaching him through all of it as well brilliant yeah no it works really well but of course get to the point where he's in the bear trap and they tell him, <laughs> they tell him essentially something that he already knows, because they are actually his conscience that he can just take the trap off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By using the catch on the back, but then it, he realizes that then he'll be going against his superstitions and his color system. Yeah, because they tell him that he has to get back in it. It's like I think it's the sort of towards the end of the second part of the episode it goes back, and that's where the, the two episodes link up. Where the Eagles are winning, but Tom Brady has the ball and there's time on the clock. I think is how they put it. And then at that point, the players say, "Oh, you're gonna have to put." it back on and the, on the same leg and obviously Charlie being Charlie he does it yeah so the lines that I picked out uh, for this I've, I've told you one and you've already picked one out yourself which I'd picked out which is I've got your sticky bible Mac yeah. which is a great line <laughs> and the other one as I say which is kind of the bridge to the two episodes and kind of explains everything in one line which is every single thing that every fan does at home or in the stadium has a direct impact on the game and that's great that they get a player to say that because <laughs> and it, what's great about that is it's funny and it's funny that the player says it and it kind of sets up but we've all done it you know as a sports fan you're a sports fan you, you all, we all we all make deals with the devil in our head yeah and you all like have maybe little superstitions or you think about if i do this this might happen so it's great it's just so rooted in truth yeah yeah definitely definitely relatable yeah it's a, it's a part of two rubbish sports teams you've got to do all you can as supporters to give them an edge haven't you so indeed and my last one i had in the list was they start explaining to him and uh he so he, he gets angry with them the two players and he says i'm pulling you you big fat assholes <laughs> 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 yeah that's a good one over the two episodes well if we're looking at lines over the two episodes the only other one i had i've got four for the second so don't pick anything for the second episode yeah i'm with you on those i think that is obviously it's quite limited the dialogue in the first episode because it's him in a bar but you know having you know the two players there gives him that sort of somebody to bounce off and, and you know as you say it's, it's, it could produce some brilliant lines in a quite a difficult environment really yeah i think we'll go on to um second episode because i think if you're going to do who won you have to talk about across the two because they're 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 the same thing you know, to, just kind of get this point across the app the two episodes are essentially the same thing just two different time frames so in the second one uh, written by Connor Galvin, the excellent Connor Galvin. The setup is essentially it's the same scene, but it's the guys in the uh, in the super limo, and it's what happens when they when they get to the stadium. Kind of getting into a nitpick here, but they break down, and th it seems to me the only reason they break down is to have the joke about um, Ben the soldier's shorts, <laughs> yeah. and the joke about Re Rex being fat. 
Yeah, yeah. Also, it's just uh, the, the, there's that point as well where, you know, Frank is the financier, which we keep talking about and how important it is to the whole series and to the whole show. You know, at first point, he, he's got like one last surprise and then this like, luxury minivan pulls around. Although it's never really revealed who's driving like that minivan because like the, wait- the waitress is, is driving it <laughs> on the way to the match. And obviously that's the reason that it, it crashes. But then you have the sort of, the breakdown, and then obviously watching it the first time, you think, right, well, the star is probably going to be them just trying to get to the Super Bowl, like it was for Thundergun, you know, the Thundergun episode where they're trying to get to the film, and most of the episode is their journey. They're actually going to get to the Super Bowl, but then you, they immediately just sort of crush that theory, because, you know, I think there's some lines to the effect of, oh, well, we're stranded, and then Frank goes, hmm, and then it just sort of flashes, and they're on like a jet instead. So it's just sort of like making a mockery of, of the not of the sort of standard sitcom model where the presenter is obstacle, and they have to find lots of creative ways to overcome it. In Always Sun, it's just, they just completely kill it straight away. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's almost like knowing that they're taking the, the mick out of themselves. It, it's it just, Frank says, all right, and then the next thing you see a plane. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it's good because, like, I think that, you know, as I say, I was I was not worried, but I was thinking, oh, as I say, it's going to be one of those episodes where they don't actually get to the Super Bowl. And I was sort of, as the episode of progressing, you know, you think, oh, it's going to be really cool to see what it's going to be like with them at the Super Bowl match. And then you're sort of presented by the scene where you think, oh, maybe they're not going to get there. But then, yeah, it's immediately dispelled, which is brilliant. <laughs> it's so good. While we're talking about it, I'm going to bring a knit up at the moment. It takes 19 hours to drive from Philadelphia to Minnesota. <laughs> I think it would have been it would have been the day before. Yeah. Maybe they, me- they meant that, and Charlie's time in the bar is, you know, 20 odd hours yeah so <laughs> right, okay. We discussed the characters. It's the same character setup, but they all do have their moment in this episode. And when you think about what these what these characters are, they still think cricket's the worst. But he's not. He's just a homeless ex priest that they've ruined. <laughs> yeah, the other ones are worse. I think Pond- Pondy's probably the worst. Well, Uncle Jack is a paedophile, so maybe maybe he's worse. Uncle Jack's got this thing about having big hands, and there's at the start of episode two, there's a, a thing where they're all enjoying his big hands, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, because he's got the rubber ones attached yeah and they uh, and also uh, during the game he has his um, he has foam big hands somebody mentions how oh yeah I think it's um, it's Frank isn't it said oh your hands look really good because he's got that foam ones on <laughs> yeah, nobody's sort of mocking him either. They just sort of—it sounds like a good for you kind of scene. It's just sort of you know back, backing what he's trying to achieve. They're rather sort of ridiculing him for it. <laughs> yeah, there's one extra character in the second one who isn't in the first one. It's the, the waiter. The waiter. Yeah, you feel so sorry for that guy. <laughs> you know, they're just like usually very mean to him and, and terrible to him. And <laughs> he's what—he's like the lawyer. Whenever he sees them arrive, he's always like, "Oh my God, not you people!" And that's he says you people all the time yeah but there's an is a there's an episode in the new series where they actually ruin his life where frank ruins his life <laughs> frank moves in with him doesn't he yeah 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 the, the, the difference between the waiter and the lawyer is the the, the gang recognize the lawyer so they, 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 they proactively seek him out to get him out of their issues for him to get them out of their issues i should say whereas with the weight the running joke is that they never recognize him like every time he pops back up yeah. and he's like oh you people again but then the gang are always like i've never met you in my life <laughs> yeah absolutely and frank actually one i think it's frank it might i've written it down but it says this minnesota rube is not ready for your big city shenanigans <laughs> <laughs> yeah even though he says he says i'm from philadelphia like you they just there's so many times in in sunny when if somebody wants to get a point across they don't listen to the answer <laughs> they never li- <laughs> they don't care that he's from philly like them there's a scene in the bathroom isn't there where, where the eagles score and he's trying to sort of 
despite everything that's happened, he's trying to kind of bond with them in celebrating the touchdown. But then Mark just totally regrets him and says, oh, fair with the fan, fair with the fan. That's okay, that's okay. And he's just like pushing him away. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and there's, yeah, Frank ties his um, shoelaces together, doesn't he? Just to reiterate that the uh, the setup here is that Frank, because of all his money, has got them a, a fantastic box. So they've got their own waiter and their own their own food and everything. But they're still yeah. doing their own versions of what Charlie's doing. They're following superstitions. And one of them actually becomes a superstition during the, the match because cause Frank's got a, a kidney stone and, and prostate problems. So he's peeing. And every time he pees, the, the Eagles score. Yeah. So therefore, Frank's got to stay peeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I like one of the parts as well about you mentioned there about them being in a box, and obviously initially they're thrilled and they're using the sort of waiter service, and you got like Pondy pressing the button, like incessantly pressing the button to get the waiter to bring more beers up. But then there's a really good line from Cricket where he says, "We're going soft up here in this ivory tower," which I think is brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, it's great because, like, Pondy's got two hot dogs. Like, he's eating both of them at once. And, like, he kind of turns up and agrees. And they're desperate to get out with the fans and join the madness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a part where uh, uh, Cricket's going around with Rex and they're trying to sell those uh, Invigoron berries to just punt us on the concourse. Cricket becomes like he's like an ambassador or a happy customer. And then you see, like, Ben the Soldier in the crowd being saluted as a member of the military. (laughs) You see the, the waitress as well. It gets into the crowd. And then there's the scene with Dee where um, obviously Max probably most embarrassed by her because obviously she's got like pink eye or whatever it is or some eye condition that's getting like gruesomely worse throughout the episode. And he puts the the uh, apron on, on her. And that's sort of like set up with this sort of slapstick scene where it's like a cartoon where the character walks off one girder and then another one appears at the right time and she's just sort of aimlessly wandering like backstage and then see like miraculously manages to get next to the field where she <laughs> and then she hands a towel to one of the like coaching staff and she has like an actual key role it's like a, a like theorized that that's how the eagles won the super bowl is that, that tom brady received a, a dirty towel that hindered his eyesight and somehow couldn't make a touchdown pass yeah she's got an apron us hasn't she that she takes off the waiter for some reason well, yeah well matt gives her it doesn't he she what's she wearing that they want to cover up can't remember i think that max matt just says that he doesn't want people to think she's from philly all right yeah, <laughs> yeah. so they don't as i say it's one of those things that they don't really try <laughs> <laughs> yeah so because she's wearing an apron just because she's wearing an apron, she manages to, manages to get backstage and they think everyone thinks she's waiting staff and therefore she gets really close to the field. Somebody gives her towels because they think she's waiting staff yeah. and then somebody takes one of those towels because they're desperate for Tom Brady to have to dry his sweat before this last drive. And yeah, <laughs> it gives him pink eye. So that's their theory as to how the Eagles won the, <laughs> won the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I think that... that... In a strange way, D ends up almost being the hero in that sense. It's, it's not really acknowledged. But you have like, the commentator even like, drawing reference to it, saying, oh, you know, Brady's desperate to get that sweat off his brow. And then, as I said, it's an incomplete pass. And then the Eagles win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they show a, they show a clip. And I, even though uh, I do, in terms of American sport, support all teams from Philly, if, I, if, you, ask me, if you ask me which American football team, I'll say the Eagles. Didn't realise, by the way, this is the only time they've ever won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 60, year, 60 years of the franchise. I'm not a huge like NFL follower, but I remember after watching the episode, re- researching it, I used to spot the Chargers, but then they moved to the Chargers. 
and then I, I spotted the LA Rams as well. For Philadelphia, I always t- tend to look out for the sort of, especially the Eagles, look out for the scores now after this episode a lot more than I used to. And one of the things that happened, just talking about the match itself, was what came to be known as the Philly Special, which was, did you, do, you, do you know about this? So Nick Foles, the quarterback, gave the ball to the to tight end Trey Burton, and he threw it, it. They were quite close to the line. He threw the pass to Foles. So Foles is one of the few um, quarterbacks to receive a pass and score. So they had this basically trick move um, ready, and it worked, and it's one of the reasons they won. Yeah, and it, it's become known as the Philly Special. Oh, cool. It would definitely be on my uh, bucket list with the Super Bowl. Like, you look at the um, prices. I know it's like a cliched thing. Like, you know, every, every time a couple of weeks before the Super Bowl, somebody shares a picture of what the ticket prices are. But I would love to go. I've, I've, not, I've never really sort of got, as a rugby fan, I've never really got swept up hugely in the NFL. But I do, I do enjoy watching. I enjoy watching American sport for the product. So that, that's, to be honest, that's one of the things I enjoyed about this episode is, as obviously, I'm not saying it's authentic. It's still it's a sitcom done in you know through the filter of Always Sunny. But it was cool to see them in the stadium, and there's obviously clips of the actual match that are interspersed into the episode as well, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah, I've got that in my notes. That um, the Eagles, they've got Bo Allen, they've got Jason Kelsey in there. They're actually wearing the right logos in their you know their fan stuff. There's footage from the game, so the Eagles were obviously very compliant with uh, with FX or whoever made it. Yeah, there's been some collaboration, hasn't there? Yeah. Whereas when they made the gang wins the World Series or the World Series, or the World Series defense, it's called, isn't it? The Phillies clearly weren't compli- compliant because they haven't got any merchandise on at all. They hardly ever mention the Phillies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they actually call it out at, at the end. Yeah, there's, an, there's a line about Major League Baseball right at the end of the episode that Charlie says. So obviously they couldn't negotiate with MLB to get to use the Phillies logos. Yeah, that's sad because it's such an affectionate episode, isn't it? Like the, the one that we're discussing now. It's, it's obviously Mac and, and like the, 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 the whole crew celebrating the Eagles' success. You know, it's done in such, like I say, we use it quite a lot, I think, describing episodes, but it's done affectionately about the Eagles. And it's making sort of poking gentle fun at fans' superstitions and how ridiculous they are. You know, I think it's brilliant for the, like, for the Eagles' brand, if you like, to be collaborating with that. And, you know, as I say, it makes it feel extra special when you have the bits of the match interspersed into like, actual footage from the Super Bowl. And then the way that the episode ends, you know, with the montage of all the fans celebrating, and even the bits like where they're celebrating on the streets, and you got the police like high fiving fans and stuff. It's like really heartwarming stuff. And it'd have been so much worse, probably impossible, had the Eagles not collaborated with it. So I guess they deserve a lot of credit for the World Series defense. Yeah, you know, carrying it off the way they did. You know, even with the mascot, they have to call him like the Philly frenetic, don't they? Which is just crazy. But you can understand, you know, the power that. And as you say, they take a little pop at Major League Baseball at the end. So it's sad, but it shows they can do it either way with, without the collaboration and with the collaboration. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the Phillies. I love I love a bit of baseball and I love the Phillies. So I was really disappointed that that happened. I think it was MLB more than the Phillies. Yeah, I can imagine it was. It's really unusual in modern sport as well, because that's the whole thing that, you try, that they're trying to do with the use of social media these days to break down the barrier because you can't do it like in a physical sense. You can't get closer to the players. So they've realised that that social media and stuff gives sports teams a chance to get closer to the fans. You know, like this week, Jordan Henderson rang a fan at home and that was all over over Twitter and stuff like that. So it is such a shame, such a shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just about being less corporate, especially in America. Like I think we're a little bit behind in that sense. And I'm not saying they're necessarily setting the trend, but it's just they're taking it in a different direction. It's so 
uncorporate, it's hard to sort of believe that it's come from an official account. There's nothing nasty and they're not putting anything offensive. But it's some of like, you know, huge multi-billion dollar organisations. And you look at the social media app and you expect, you know, to see this sort of polished, heavily branded, very sort of matter of fact, self-contained sort of messaging. But then you go in there and it's just like like literal like banter, you know, with other with other teams and like using memes. I've, I'm still getting used to it, to be honest. I'm, I'm still a bit stuck up about it, I think. So About using memes? About, well, I don't know. Cause obviously, when, when I've worked on social media with clubs and, and tournaments or whatever, it's always, I've always, maybe it's just my mindset. I'm always just quite corporate with it. But yeah, maybe I'm just old-fashioned. I don't even like using hashtags. Just to wrap up on this kind of sports, Philly sports thing. Of course, and the complete antithesis of any kind of mascot there's ever been. Are you aware of the Flyers mascot, Gritty? No, no, what's that? So Gritty is the yeah, is their mascot for the ice hockey team, the, the Philadelphia Flyers, and he just looks really weird. He's big and fat, like does stupid things all the time. <laughs> right. I need to follow him on Twitter and have a look at it. I'm going to get a picture of him. He's just superb. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah, he looks like the honey monster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He doesn't do a lot of the kind of, you know, I'm nice to kids stuff. He just does weird things. It's great. He's such a great mascot. Really worth a follow. So in terms of lines, I've got loads, but we have to narrow it down to three. (laughs) For some reason, (laughs) right at the start, before they get into the the, um, coach, Cricket is explaining how he got his nosebleed. And what he says is, I came up blindside on a horse and he was quicker than me. (laughs) So that's lesson... (laughs) That's lesson learned. <laughs> Again, it's not questioned, though, is it? It's not questioned. Like, when he gives the explanation, it's sort of accepted. And then uh, there's just a little one when, uh, you know, it's part of the character, isn't it? But when uh, Max referring to Ben, he says, ding dong here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's, uh, no, I think D says that. Oh, is it? All right. They're going to honour Ding-Dong here. Yeah, and he's just, again, like, Ben doesn't fight it, does he? <laughs> and, yeah, and Mac always saying to, I think he says it a couple of times, take your shirt off, Rex. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's there. As far as Mac's concerned, that's why Rex is on the trip. Yeah, well, exactly. <clears throat> he's the best of Philly, and that's why he's the best of Philly, or why Mac was hoping he'd be the best of Philly, and it obviously backfires. Yeah, because he's the most stacked. <laughs> and then obviously it, Frank's, you know, these guys are the best of Philly speeches, probably, as you say, a real cornerstone of both episodes. This sort of journey of them, sort of Max trying to elevate himself to being better than everybody. And even though these are the people that they surround themselves with, and then as the episode evolves and develops, there is that sort of sense of unity between everyone. And there's that, that scene where, like, where it looks like uh, the Eagles are going to win. And then Max sort of gives this speech about, oh, everybody's you know played their part and this is because of you. And they're all sort of on the same page. And then there's sort of, I think there's a fumble or a turnover or something. And then Mac immediately turns on them all again. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any other um, lines? Um, just the ones I mentioned. So, yeah, the one about cricket where it says, we're going soft up here in this ivory tower. And the second one, that's one of my favourite lines. But I'd forgotten about the one at the start. And it's the, about being blindsided by a horse and it's just it's just so it's not delivered with any sort of like emphasis or it's not framed up in any way to draw any special attention to it's just like a throwaway comment which is quite easily missed but it's hilarious actually yeah and i think if you watch you know those blooper shows yeah those blooper reels on youtube with the script they have quite a lot of latitude the characters and something like that, they probably said to him, I'll just say, you know, come up with something. And he probably, came, he probably, I guarantee you, he came up with three or four things and that's the one they decided to use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I haven't got any other lines beyond that. I think, as I say, over the course of the two episodes, you know, especially given that the majority of the first episode is just Charlie on his own. 
they do really well to sort of churn some really good lines out of it. But as I say, like one of the best things about it, and you know, looping back to what I said at the start, I just think it isn't actually the finale of the season. There is the uh, Mac finds his pride episode, which is sort of a one-off. But I just think it's such a nice payoff for fans, and that's, that to me is the best part about these episodes is that you get to see all these cameos that are all sort of universally beloved, like you know, Pondy, Uncle Jar. Rex, Ben the Soldier. There's not really many fans that say, I don't really like that character. And to sort of give the fans all of those characters in one episode or in over two episodes as it is, I just think, you know, it's sort of, as I said, I just I genuinely think they're looking at one, honouring the Eagles winning the Super Bowl and marking that in their own way, but two, sort of like, it's like a reward for fans, you know, you're 13 seasons in. And I think it's, it really engages with fans just to see everybody in the same, same episode. It's got so many things in there that people will enjoy because. Probably everybody loves Home Alone. Yeah, yeah. They're characters that aren't... All those characters are characters that aren't worked too hard, but you know them and you love them because of some of the some of the stuff that they've done. And some of them have been key players like Pondy and, and Uncle Jack. Yeah. Uh, and then some of them have just been like minor kind of undercurrents in plots like like Ben the Soldier and, and Rex. But but you do, you do love to see them. And as you say, and then all that is wrapped up with a special nod to actual... Philadelphia sports fans themselves where they, they show lots of people from yeah. from Eagles households and as you say people dancing with the cops and you have to watch the whole of the credits to see Rob McElhenney himself at the stadium watching it yeah yeah and I think he really shows the fact that this journey that the Eagles went on that nobody expected him to go on and nobody expected him to beat Brady and the Patriots. Well, it was back to kind of Wimbledon against Liverpool kind of cup final thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can really tell in that very last clip of him on the mobile phone how much he's genuinely enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. As, as, a, as a 100% fan. And, you know, you could probably say it's not, it's, it's not self-indulgent, but it, it's him celebrating the things he loves in life. And but and sharing it. So like as I say, you and me are, are discussing it as you know people that are familiar with American football, but not necessarily you know avid followers. And he'll be aware that there are a lot of people that aren't necessarily big NFL fans or big Philadelphia Eagles fans. But he's sharing that with them. You know, he's, he's using this episode as a vehicle to share that ecstasy and that feeling he had and share it with everybody and and make a you know really good episode out of it as well. I was going to say as well with the the characters, I think. One of the reasons that they're so well loved is that, you know, and this is a comment sort of more broadly on the whole series, is that they're managed. So you do have some episodes where they feature much heavier, like Uncle Jack, you know, in the trial of the century. But generally, you sort of left wanting more. You just sort of get little cameos from them, but they never sort of dominate. And as I say, increasingly, you've got the, the cricket's tale, where cricket is the main character. But generally speaking, over the course of the series, them the manage the input of them and you know as a, you see each of them evolving like cricket's evolution is probably the most like harrowing to witness but then like with pondy as well like his isn't much you know better to be honest how he completely degenerates into probably being the worst person out of everybody and it, but as I, the point <laughs> i'm making is that each time you just left wanting more you get a little insight and you know that in a later episode they're going to pop back up and each time they do you, you're not sort of thinking oh this guy's in all the time. You're like, oh, I haven't seen this guy for ages. And you're wondering, like, how has he changed? What's happened in his life since we last saw him? And they do a really good job of that. I totally agree. And especially with, as you say, with cricket. We'll save our cricket because at one, some point, maybe hopefully soon, a cricket's tail will come out of the random number generator. We can just fix it. We can just fix the generator if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but the journey of cricket and just the way 
every series there's another layer slipped away and another kick in the balls for him and another and it's <laughs> and it's also oh, so great the fact that they don't care and the fact that they've done it and the fact that they always come back and whenever they come back they come back with a little morsel that will help him for two minutes but will eventually ruin him a bit more <laughs> you just don't see how it can possibly get worse either so like obviously he's introduced to D and then that's the beginning of the downfall and you think right that's it you know he's in the gutter but then each time there's like some anecdote that he tells or, or some sort of physical change to him where they've, they've actually managed to make him worse and you think they can't he can't get much worse but each t- each time they manage like it wasn't like see, they, they burn him in the fire don't they like they lock it lock him in the flat <laughs> <laughs> and he's always going on about dog orgies and <laughs> yeah they always equip him with some sort of tale of what he's been up to and as I say that's the fun like each time you see any of them and perhaps most with cricket you're just waiting for him to tell you what he's been up to and to find out what's happened to him that's actually made his his life worse and it, it, they always deliver on that so in terms of ickiness I think we forgot ickiness in the last in the last episode but there wasn't any I don't think really the only thing, the only thing I've got, which like really turned my stomach, was him eating the rat. Obviously, we got the the tail just going into the into his mouth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, the bear trap for me. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing, yeah, the other thing with Home Alone is obviously what the 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 bandits go through on Home Alone. You wouldn't survive. <laughs> no. You know that <laughs> you'd you'd have you know at best terrible spinal injuries <laughs> and what they go through. Yeah. But what they make Charlie go through is really realistic. Having a nail in the arm wouldn't kill you, but it'd be real. It would really hurt. And they don't hit him. They, the paint guns just kind of just hit him. And the bear trap, obviously, that's what a bear trap would do. You know, it wouldn't chop your leg off. He says, "Oh, it's a gusher, doesn't he?" When he does it, there's a bit with the paint can as well, where he's got his hands on two pieces of string, and he's, he says, "Right, I'll just catch the paint can when I let go," <laughs> and the paint can just like lands. And it's like obviously like Home Alone. It's done for like comic effect, and as you say, it's a miraculous that the, the bandits don't get injured seriously and just keep coming back. But it's done. You know, it's a slapstick scene in a family movie. Obviously, they're paying homage to it, but they're just sort of ex- like exposing the reality of the situation. Like you say, the nail gun, the bear trap, the paint can. These things would be very, very painful. And as I said earlier, he's just getting absolutely pulverized by the traps, isn't he? Like in the first episode. The great, the great thing with the two strings is you don't. Um... You know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's just the way that it happens. So have you got any nits to pick? Well, I think that's the thing that you mentioned about the, the distance that they actually need to travel. But again, they're, just, they're not trying to be authentic in that sense. I think they are sort of thumbing the nose a little bit. Uh, uh, that sort of unnecessary, probably this is an unnecessary commitment to realism or this unnecessary commitment to struggle. And they, they take a lot of shortcuts you know, in terms of they don't really have to face any battles to get to the stadium, even though the van breaks down. But because they just want to give fans what they want. They want to give the, the viewer what they want. And so it is a nitpick, I suppose, if, you, if you're looking at everything from a, through a forensic filter. As, I say, as you said, the time frame and the distance between the bar and the stadium don't really add up. But no, beyond that, no, I can't really think of any other nitpicks. I certainly didn't write any down when I was watching. They call, I think it's Matt, calls the Patriots the most successful franchise in the history of organised sports, which they're not. I know they're just trying to build up how good the Patriots are. I mean, I don't know if they are. I think they probably are in American football, and maybe maybe they're better than, say, the Yankees have been in, in baseball. 
but certainly not in organized sports. No, but that's that's probably like a nod to like the American centric sort of sports fans. You know, the, the, in many ways, sport doesn't really exist outside America. Although there is a, a fallacy, there is a, a common myth that people think there's a that, that's why they call it the World Series in baseball. It's actually sponsored by the World Newspaper, which is why it's called the World Series. But there is this sort of belief that if you're the best in America, you're the best in the world. And I guess, to, to, to be fair, if you're the best NFL team, then you are the best American football team in the world. But yeah, there's there's always that sort of filter of close-mindedness, I guess, and that sport doesn't really exist outside of America. Yeah, well, I also read that um, there's a counter-fallacy to the fallacy. The world did sponsor it for a while. The newspaper doesn't exist anymore. They decided to keep that title anyway so you could say that they do believe it's the they are the world champions i mean what it is i mean as i say like the counterbalance to what i've just said is that they are the best team in the world so like you know if the yankees win the world series i don't think it's gonna be like the team from leeds they're gonna pop up and yeah. like, challenge them or something so but yeah i suppose it is a nit to pick about the patriots being the one of the most winningest franchise of all time to use an american expression indeed interestingly um a team that had never won the world series like the eagles doing it here won the world series last year you know who it was no i don't oh actually no do i no i can't i I can't think of the name i remember hearing about it at the time i can't remember who it was it was the washington nationals Ah. then they've done really well because i think they won uh, washington won the the ice hockey the year before that as well i think um and the the washington nationals were the montreal expos and the expos closed down and moved to uh, washington first franchise win ever for the nationals and they beat the houston astros who are like probably the best team in baseball at the moment and who are involved in a um in a sign what's known as a sign stealing scandal at the moment did you know that no what's that what's the scandal what they they had been doing was they've been watching the you know the catcher makes signals to the pitcher yeah yeah they've been capturing the catcher's signals on a video that you're not supposed to do then interpreting them and then when the batter goes up they were from the dugout they were banging on a bin right <laughs> so yeah so everybody's totally outraged about that in baseball all oh, right oh cool it's an interesting way of cheating because you've got old-fashioned technology with new technology fair play to them. banging on a bin uh, and video it's you know very clever so we're used in this country to the to the old school cheats you know the Leeds United manager spying on all his opponents training sessions <laughs> but then if you call the Leeds they, they, they say there's nothing wrong with spying there's you know there's a man who's got a lot of a lot of friends who are Leeds United fans they say well there's nothing wrong with spying it's not cheating so then I start nicknaming Leeds United the spies but they take offense to that so like, well, if there's nothing wrong with spying why you why do you want to be called the spies so, yeah that's sorry I mean that's something that'll probably crop up in any talk about sport is you know my dislike of Leeds United and they are cheats. So. It would be good if that caught on. Well, they need a nickname. They needed a new logo, didn't they? And they didn't get one. So picture of a man with a pair of binoculars, you done. When I went to the Argentine city of Rosario, which is the third biggest city in Argentina, and the two football te- teams there, Rosario Central and Newell's Old Boys. And... Newell's old boy's nickname is Los Lepros, which is the lepers, and Rosario Central nickname is the Rascals. Right, cool. They're called that because of an incident of a charity game just before the First World War, when the charity game was in aid of a leprosy hospital, and the Rosario Central didn't send a team. So they were, like, called the Rascals, and they, in turn, called the others the lepers, and it stuck. Right. Isn't that crazy? And But the, but the lepers is sort of become owned by that club's fans as well. Yeah, yeah. So they've owned it. Well, there you go, the spies. You know, why don't... But to be fair, if Leeds, start, Leeds fans start to enjoy being called the spies, then I'll stop calling them it. 
<laughs> As we've gone down a football rabbit hole, my last knit, it's only a tiny one, but when you go through those the clips of the people celebrating at home, somebody's wearing a Man United shirt. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Disappointed me greatly. Uh, yeah. I had to freeze it and make sure, but I, uh, yeah, I did. So. See, Man United, are Leeds United, aren't they? They are, yeah, definitely. They're the New England Patriots of soccer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a fair label to be. I think they wish they could be the New England Patriots of soccer, but they certainly were at one point. Do you have any other notes? I mean, I guess we need to mention the fact that Dennis isn't in the episode. So obviously this is out with his family, isn't he? His new family. Uh, that's that, that He returns eventually. But it's strange, and it's a, it's a weird thing to try to sort of articulate, but you don't notice that he's not there at first. And that isn't, you know, Dennis is a brilliant character, and he's absolutely intrinsic to the whole thing. You know, it's interesting to speculate how he might have slotted into the storyline had he been there. Like, you know, presumably he'd have been on the bus. But you'd imagine as soon as it had arrived at the stadium... He'd have done his own thing. I, don't, I can't imagine he'd have been in the box watching the match. He'd have been doing something else. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point, actually. Yeah, because he's not in this season at all, is he? Because he, he went off to, to make a couple of uh, things that didn't ultimately work. The actor Glenn Howerton, um, and then came back. But you're right, I think he would have... He's always eager to join in with crazy schemes. He would have been a fan of the Eagles. He would have been a fan of the trip. He would have been a fan of drinking. Yeah. But he'd still want to keep his distance from the others. So there would have had to be some kind of setup where he probably tried to get off with a waitress and not the waitress, but a waitress and ultimately failed. Maybe they could have turned the waiter in the box to a, a female host. Yeah. Excellent. Well, well done again, the random number generator. Pulling double time today. So, you know, I think we've done quite well there, though. Yeah, we've done very well, considering my no- my number... My um, my number, my notes are all over the place. <laughs> so I think we should have a name for the random number generator, or rather call it the random number generator. You've got a name? Yeah, I've, I've come up with a name. What's that? And it's a nod to the famous Serpico episode, which I can't remember what it's called. We could should call the random number generator Agent Jack Bauer. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, let's do that. So first we have to pick the season. So that's 1 to 14. And you will tell me how many times to press it before I choose that number. Uh, go with 1. So that is season 12. Season 12, cool. Again. Yeah, we've already had the gang turns black from there. So then we may have to respin, which would be unprecedented. Is it 10 um, episodes? 10 episodes, yeah. So how many times am I, am I pressing Jack Bauer Agent Jack Bauer. No, twice. Twice. Four. Episode four. That's Wolf Cola, a public relations nightmare. Oh, that, that's a great episode. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a great Frank episode. Yeah. So next time on Jabronis Only, we will be watching, and if you want to watch it first, and then, because that's the best way, I think, to enjoy this show. If you watch the episodes, you can kind of watch along with us. But just a shout out to a couple of uh, listeners. So Liam Claffey. He's on, he's on board. Good lad is Liam. We love Liam. So regular listen. Good lad is Liam. And in line for a T-shirt when we get around to making them. And also Carrie Morgan uh, up there in Penrith in Cumbria. And she sent me a note saying you need to um, talk about the plot a bit more because not everybody like you are, is an Uber fan. And she's right. Oh, I'm quite, quite, quite flattered that we're considered an Uber fan. And uh, we tried our very best with the plot here, but we were all over the place. So... Do apologise. We've got too many agendas, haven't we? Too many personal agendas at play. Exactly. So that is uh, Jabroni's only. It's uh, goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. 